The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In our series on the kingdom of God, we've been talking about Article 7 of our Articles of Faith here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. That article deals with baptism and the Lord's Supper. We've been dealing with the ordinance of baptism, and we first looked at the proper mode of baptism, which is immersion. Next, we looked at the proper understanding of baptism, which is that it does not save eternally, but there is a timely salvation in baptism. Today, we begin looking at the proper candidates for baptism. Article 7 states that true believers in him are the only subjects that Christ instituted these ordinances for. As we look at this subject of believers' baptism only, we are also going to deal with the subject of infant baptism, which is prevalent among many denominations of the religious world. We're going to see from Scripture that believers' baptism is the only baptism that's supported by the Bible, and that's what we adhere to at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
You may recall that we have been on Article 7 of the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. Article 7 deals with baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we've been focusing upon baptism. What Article 7 says is that we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper or ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ and true believers in Him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for, and that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. We've already dealt with the proper mode of baptism, the fact that immersion, that is taking the candidate for baptism and uh, placing them under the water and then bringing them back up out of the water as an enactment of the gospel message, that that is the way to do it. That is what scripture says that we should do. And I also want to remind you about our Article 2 of the Articles of Faith which says that we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. We're going to talk about a principle in a minute called the regulative, regulative principle versus the normative principle. I've preached on this once before, and those are just really just big words that mean this. The regulative principle says that, that if the scripture don't say it, we don't do it. <laughs> And the normative principle, which is used in many places in the world, says, well, if the scripture's silent, you can add it and you can do what you kind of want to and improvise. But that's not what we believe here at this church. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. We also dealt last time with the fact that baptism does not save us eternally. There's a salvation in baptism, but it's not eternal salvation. In fact, he makes that so plain in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 when he says, uh, that baptism doth now save us. It's not eternal salvation, it is now salvation. And we talked about that, we dealt with that. This morning, I want to deal with the overall topic of the proper candidate or the proper subject for baptism. And that essentially is that we believe in believer's baptism. Lord willing, I want to deal with believer's baptism and then I want to talk a little bit about infant baptism, which is a common practice out in the world, in the religious world. So first of all, I want to talk about believers' baptism. You remember in our article of faith here, number seven, it says that true believers in him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for, both the Lord's Supper and baptism, but we're talking about baptism right now. Over in Matthew chapter 28, Beginning down in verse 19, we read a commandment here that Jesus gave to us, gave to his disciples in that day, and it, it applies to us. Whether you believe that it was fulfilled by those disciples then, we still have the duty elsewhere we read about it of going into the world and preaching the gospel message. And he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now here we see the importance of baptism. I want you to notice that he first of all commands us to teach all nations, that, and that word literally means to make disciples of them. 
Tell them how they ought to live. Tell them what I've told you. Share with them what I have shared with you already as my uh, disciples here on earth. And you share this and make disciples of them. And yet immediately this, this commandment to make disciples is followed by the command to baptize. To baptize them. Now, I don't want to go too far afield on this, but I want us to understand baptism is extremely important. As a matter of fact, from the very placement here, we can deduce that baptism is the first step in discipleship. It's one of the first steps that we should take if we're going to be true disciples of Him. Now, I've already, we've already learned you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. But you have to be baptized in order to experience some of these blessings that he's promised his church here on this earth. He says, teach all nations or make disciples of them and baptize them. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But notice that he said baptize them. Who is them? The ones he's been teaching. Which kind of eliminates those that can't learn, right? such as babies. <laughs> so we'll come back to that in a moment. But understand that he says, teach them and baptize them. And as a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, the powerful message on the day of Pentecost was preached by Peter. And in Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, we, he's, they were pricked in their hearts. And we, we've dealt with that also. That's not being cut to the heart, which is all a man can do. The Holy Spirit is required to prick you in the heart. We see on over where people were cut to the heart and stoned Stephen to death. Now, I can cut you to the heart. I can make you mad. But only the Holy Spirit can prick you in the heart and make you repentant, you see. He said, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, here's the point where if Peter were like many children of God today, he would say, Well, you know, it, it don't really matter. Just kind of. You want to go fishing, you want to go, go to the ball game, you want to uh, just kind of sleep in, you're going to heaven anyway, so just, uh, you know, just, just do what you need to do. That's not what he said, is it? Now, now, again, these are people who are already pricked in the heart. They're already children of God. They've already been born again. And they said, what shall we do? What is the, so what is the first thing Peter tells them? He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. We dealt with what that means last time. I'll just encourage you to go listen to the podcast from, from a couple of weeks ago, and you'll understand what it's talking about there, for the remission of sins. Peter said the first thing you need to do is you need to repent. That is, basically follow along that same path that you're on now that your heart has been pricked by the Holy Ghost. Because, see, there's a repentance that's brought in the new birth, that you don't, you won't, you know, the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. And, and that repentance is something that we should follow along with. You know, there's a repentance granted, that is a change of mind granted. That's not feeling sorry for your sins or being sorry you got caught. That's a change of mindset toward your sins. That's only brought in the new birth, but you can neglect that and just kind of let the old man take over and, and, and put the other, the new man on autopilot and, and still. Uh, just continue on that same road. He says, don't do that. He says, repent. You follow that pricking in your heart. You repent and you be baptized. 
See, baptism sounds like it's pretty important. In fact, over in 1 Peter, Peter writing there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like we've already mentioned in chapter 3 and verse 20, he tells us that baptism is the answer of a good conscience. I tell you, uh, uh, I want to keep a good conscience, and it sounds like baptism is kind of important to that. <laughs> it sounds like baptism is something we ought to do. You see, baptism is important. So let's... Let's look at baptism uh, also from the standpoint of the first baptism that we read about in the scripture. Turn with me back over to Matthew chapter 3. You see, I want to talk about John's baptism now. <clears throat> as we consider this idea of who it is that ought to be baptized. And we ought to be informed by and taught by the first baptism that we see in scripture, shouldn't we? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now listen to verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But notice what John says. I baptize you with water unto repentance. And he tells them in verse 8, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. So what he's saying here is, is that repentance is clearly necessary to baptism. And that's why we don't just go out and pull people off the street and dunk them in the water and send them on their way. We want to see fruits of repentance. We want to see Fruits that are meat for repentance in order to baptize you. Now remember, we're not talking about uh, some kind of works-based eternal salvation. But we are talking about a works-based entry into the church of the living God. If you understand the difference there. You see, those who are children of God, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, born of the Spirit in God's own time, those whose sins were paid for by Christ at Calvary, every single one of them will be in heaven. But not every single one of them will be in the church. And I'm so thankful to know that the church is not the only ones that are going to heaven. <laughs> it's going to be a mighty sparsely populated place. In fact, let me just say this. Sometimes I've heard people say about the primitive Baptists, well, you believe you're the only ones going to heaven. That is the absolute 180 degree opposite of what we believe. We don't believe that at all. We believe there's a, a multitude that no man can number that's going to be there. That attitude doesn't match up with scripture, does it? You think about the fact of all those out there in the world who've never heard the gospel message. Throughout the ages of time, the millions, if not billions, who have never heard the gospel message. According to my scripture, what I read in the Bible here, it said there is a people of God in every nation and kindred and tongue and tribe. And it is a multitude that no man can number. But there's a difference in the overall family of God and those who obey God in obedience to the gospel call. 
and come into the church and are baptized, you see. So what we're talking about here is how, who rather, that we are to baptize. And it's those who are repentant. Repentance is necessary to baptism, okay? Repentance is necessary to baptism, but perfection is not necessary to baptism because you're never going to get it completely right. You say, well, preacher, you're telling me I've got to change everything I do and be perfect in my life. Well, you ought to. <laughs> so should I. But I can tell you I have a sad experience on my part that uh, it hadn't worked for me yet. I'm still not perfect. I, I have not got it right yet. But here's the point is I may not be able to completely overcome all of my sins but my attitude toward my sins ought to be different than it was before I was born again, you see. And we ought to have that attitude in the church. I come into the church every Sunday morning thinking I don't belong here. <laughs> you know who we want in this church? Those that think they don't belong. <laughs> That's who we want. If you think, you, if you think you're, uh, you're just essential to this operation and you come down here and say, I've been looking at your, your church here and I see all these ways that I can improve it if, if y'all will just let me in, then we're probably going to just pass over you for right now. But when you come to this church as a broken-hearted, downtrodden sinner and you understand that you don't fit by nature here, you don't belong by nature here, but you've been made worthy by the, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way you can come here is to claim His blood and His righteousness, then that's the one that we want to be part of this church. We want that one that said, look, I don't belong here, but if you'll just let me sit at the back and be a doorkeeper. Oh my, my goodness, beloved, if y'all voted me out as a pastor, if you decided you wanted somebody else, I, I, I just beg you, if the Lord didn't move me somewhere else to pastor another church, I'd just say, if you'll just let me stay, I'll sit on the back row, I'll be quiet, I'll let the people in the door. That's what the attitude that we need to have about the Lord's church, you see. We ought to just want to desire to be doorkeepers here. Now look, don't get me wrong. You are important to this church. The Lord wants you in His church. He wants you to be obedient to His commandments. And so don't, don't get the idea that it doesn't matter whether you're here or not. It matters. It matters to one another. But keep the attitude that we don't belong by nature. We're not worthy in ourselves. But praise God, He's made us worthy. There's a repentance here. That was necessary. Over in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist elaborates upon that a little bit. In Luke chapter 3, he says in verse 8, he says, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. That's the same Greek word that was used back over there in Matthew chapter 3 where he says meat for repentance or appropriate for, suitable or befitting repentance. And then he goes on to give some examples. He said, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Let, let me just say this. <laughs> I, I, that is a completely true statement and it applies even today that God doesn't need us to praise him he can raise up stones uh, to praise him if he wanted to but I want to say to you that that's not the attitude we should have our attitude should be that we don't want the stones to have to praise him we want to praise him ourselves you see 
We want to be obedient to Him and we want to be able to praise Him. God, this is not, this is not some kind of safety net He's given them here. He's not saying, oh well, it's okay if you don't praise Him, God will get the stones. He's, he's uh, criticizing them. He is, he is uh, uh, admonishing them because He says, don't you dare get the attitude that you don't have to follow the Lord, that it's not important that you praise Him. Uh, I know God's able to these stones out here to do it, but it's up to you to do it. Stones don't have lips. They don't have voices. God would have to perform a miracle there for them to speak. He's already performed a miracle in your heart if you're a child of God. So why not praise him? Why not praise him? He says, now also the axe is laid to the fruit of the tr root of the trees. And he tells them about that. And, and then they ask him in verse 10, what shall we do then? And here's what he says. Now think about how this might apply in your own life. He answereth and said unto them, he that hath two coats... Let him impart to him that hath none. You know, one of the characteristics of a child of God ought to be generosity and charity and helping one another. I know we're feeble and we fail so many times in that regard. I can think of the times I've, oh boy, I've failed. But that ought to be our desire is to help one another and not to be selfish and greedy. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Let him do likewise. I confess to you, when I see somebody standing on the side of the road with a sign saying that they're needy and needing something, you know, I'm, unfortunately in the day in which we live, there's so much uh, deceit and there's so many scammers out there. I confess to you, my first thought is, is not always one of charity and compassion. But my point is this, our nature ought to be to help one another. It ought to be to help others. And then came the publicans to be baptized in verse 12 and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? He said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. Notice what he told them. He didn't say quit your job. He didn't say um, sell everything you got and go move into a monastery. He said where you are, do your job and do it honestly. Did you know that work is a way we can worship God? You know, in fact, Paul makes a statement in one place, if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. Now, I realize there are those that can't work, and that's the ones we ought to help. But if you can work, you're worshiping God by doing your work honestly, by doing it diligently. You know, I've heard of people before who might not have be the type to to, to talk about scriptural things or to quote the Bible all the time, but people will say of that person, he is a good man. He is a hard, honest worker. You know, that's a testimony to our uh, devotion to Christ. He said, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Don't, don't cheat in your work. He said, the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, and what should we do? And he said unto them, do, no, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. There's a lot we could preach about right there, but here again he's saying, do your job. He's not saying there's no place for armies and there's no place for, uh, for fighting in a war. But what he's saying is, he's saying, don't, don't do this. You know, I, I've known people who are in positions of authority, maybe law enforcement or, or army or navy or uh, other branches of, of uh, service who, uh, who seemingly love their authority, love their power, and just wield it like a, like a sword and like to show you that they got more power than you have. And, and essentially what, 
Christ is telling them there when he says don't do violence to any man. He's saying don't you put somebody in fear. Don't you threaten them. You do your job in the way that the job needs to be done. But you don't do these kinds of things that the world would teach you to do out here. He's saying show. Show that you're repentant. Show that you're a child of God. You know that's really all that God requires of us. He says I just want you to act like my children. You know, that's all I ask of my children. Just act like you're my child. And, and, and don't embarrass me and don't disappoint me by doing things you know you shouldn't do. That's what John's baptism was all about. Repentance was necessary to this baptism. Now, there are other baptisms in Scripture that we need to look at. Turn with me over in Acts chapter 8. Probably one of the more famous um, baptisms. We've already kind of touched on this in a previous message, but we were talking about something else then. We were talking about the proper mode of baptism. But in Acts chapter 8, beginning down in verse 26, we're told about Philip, who was an evangelist there in Samaria. It says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went." And then he begins to tell us about why he sent him. And by the way, for any of you young men that uh, uh, feel like you may have a call into the ministry, or if the, if the Lord ever does call you into the ministry, uh, you don't have to know the outcome. You just need to know the order. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, that's what you need to do. You don't need to, need to know why. You don't need to know all the details, you just need to go. Philip was there in the midst of one of the greatest revivals since Pentecost. Everybody, the whole nation of Samaria, the whole area of Samaria was, was listening to and believing and trusting the gospel message. They were, they were eating it up, we would say today. And he was right in the middle of this revival and God said, okay, now, Philip, I want you to leave the revival and I want you to go down here into the desert. He didn't say, there's a man coming that you're going to see and you're going to help start a revival in Ethiopia. You know, there are Ethiopian Christians that, that, were, that came from, uh, that were converted, rather, by this Ethiopian unit. But Philip didn't know that. And here's the point. As a preacher, I'm commanded to preach to hundreds, but I'm also commanded to preach to one. You know, I'm so thankful for the numbers we have here. Praise God. Praise God for how he has added to our flock. But there was a time when there was one. <laughs> when I joined, there were two. Okay? God blessed us to grow, but, uh, but we need to be willing to preach to the one as well as to the hundred, you see. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.